All right. Hey, I'm Jason, uh, pastor at Zion. So grateful to be here with my good friend, Jennifer Colby, who is our adult ministries director. Hey, good morning, afternoon, it's evening. Not morning. It's not even <laughs> close to morning. We actually used to do the podcast together and we put the podcast on hiatus. Um, so uh, for those who are tuning in for the first time, I'm actually going to look at the camera because normally I'm just looking at you. But for those who are watching, uh, the goal of this video podcast is to talk through the next 40 days that we're going through called the 40 Days of Purpose connected to Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And each week we're going to be doing kind of a, a video conversation around each of the purposes and kind of um, to get thoughts. And last week we talked about that the, the chief end of man, the primary purpose of all human beings is God. That is the first purpose for all humans, that all human beings were created with for to give glory to God. To purpose was to uh, seek and love to and know, know God. Mm -hmm. And then sin got in the way and messed all that up. And we tend to put ourselves at the top of that. Uh, this week, we're actually stepping into the first purpose. And uh, the first purpose, which if it's really the second purpose, because if the first purpose is God... Every other purpose after that is a byproduct. Supports that first purpose. Yeah, and, and that's so important because the very first purpose that he goes into, and I so appreciate um, what Pastor Rick does here, is he brings us right into the importance of worship. Mm. And uh, this uh, on Sunday morning, the text that we use was actually from Deuteronomy where Moses is writing to the people who are wandering in the desert. Um, there are people who don't have a home yet. And sometimes what we miss is that God is actually preparing them for when they inhabit the land to be a people, to be a people who have laws, who have a purpose themselves as a nation. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, you have kind of the social laws as, as well as, hey, these are the things that are just good and bad. Don't do these things, do these things. And God makes a promise to the Israelites and he says, listen, as long as you obey the commands I give you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you're going to prosper. You're going to have land. You'll have all these, you'll, you'll conquer enemies. Anybody who's a threat to you, I'll defend you. But if you break the vows, if you don't do what I asked you to, then things aren't going to go well. That's the new Jason standard version. Um, but there's this verse in there where God tells us people, he says, do not make, first he says, remember the covenant. Mm. And then he says, um, and do not take any idols. Because I am a jealous God and all-consuming fire. And I want to start off by talking about, when we talk about worship, uh, there is a connection between jealousy and worship. And, I, and it's hard because in our culture, jealousy is not something that we, it's often associated it's with. It's bad. It's a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. When was the last time you are like, you heard jealous and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Um, you actually, even before we started recording, you started sharing. Share, share some of your thoughts on, because we were just talking about that. Literally. Yeah, I mean, I think jeal the hard thing about jealousy is if it's rooted in the right place, it is rooted out of love, yeah. right? Nothing, you, you aren't jealous of something unless there's a love connected to that There's a, or a liking connected to that, right? Otherwise, who cares? Yep. It's, just, it's just a, who, who, who matter? It doesn't matter. If my husband is doing something It's that... Maybe I don't have his attention or maybe he's doing something I don't like. It's often like if there's a jealousy connected to that, it's because I love him and I want better things for yeah. him. And so jealousy, I think at the core is an okay thing. It's yes. when it gets outside of love that becomes a problem. Well, and so uh, think of jealousy like this. Okay, so first of all, in the Ten Commandments, God doesn't say thou shalt not be jealous. He says thou shalt not covet. So coveting is wanting something that's not yours. I'm glad you make that distinction because, yeah. because I do think we think that 
jealousy and coveting go together. Actually, I think that's where our problem comes from is we associate jealousy with coveting. Right. We actually go, well, that's they don't have the right to be jealous when coveting is wanting something that's not yours. Jealousy is desiring something that should be yours. That's healthy jealousy. And so when God says this, and it's so important that, and we talked about this on Sunday, is um, he says, remember the covenant. Well, let's think about our, our wedding day, okay? Not our wedding day. We didn't get married. Um, but when I got married to my wife, you got married to your husband, Mike. You took what? We took vows. You took vows. And those vows were symbolic of, not symbolic, they were part of a covenant. And that covenant was you promising fidelity, love, and affection to who? Well, to my husband. And your husband alone yeah, first. Yeah, right. Right? That's your first. And and likewise, he took that covenant with you. I mean, I think what's tricky is like, just to clarify, God, part of that covenant includes God, right? Well, but so. The vows and the wedding was to my spouse. Yep. But you took a covenant before God, not to God. True. That's the difference. True. And part of it is because I've already taken a covenant with God before I stepped into that so wedding day. Now, now we're coming into the root of why God gets jealous. Mm -hmm. Why does he use the language of covenant? Because covenant is not a contract. It's a promise commitment to each other. And the Jews were his covenantal people. And he's essentially, it's like a marriage contract. Sure. That's why yeah. even as Christians, when you become a Christian, you're now part of a new covenant. We're in a committed relationship with Jesus. So the question becomes, is God jealous for the love and affection of people who are not in a covenant relationship with him? No. Uh, he's angry. That's where we see the judgment and wrath of God coming out because he's like, hey, you should. We should well, this should be what we have with each other. That's right. In fact, what he would argue is I deserve is your worship. I'm worthy of your worship. And because of that, that's when you don't worship me, it's a sin. But notice he makes that. That's why he says, remember the covenant. The covenant is what makes jealousy okay. And so an example would be this, okay? And I've heard people say this to me. Well, there's nothing wrong with window shopping, Jason. I mean, I'm, my, my husband or my wife doesn't mind as long as I don't have an affair, mm. it's okay. And my, my immediate mind goes to, wait a second. That, that looking should only be directed to That's the person right. in the covenant. And, and it's not even just the looking, it's the emotional. Sure. So yeah. one of the things we didn't talk about on Sunday is, you know, there are two primary types of affairs that are common in culture today. Okay. So the first one is a sexual affair. We're familiar with that. That's probably the most well-known. It's when uh, there's infidelity within the marriage bed. Okay. Now I, I shared a story on Sunday morning about a wife and a husband who the husband was upset because his wife was jealous. And then he was, I mean, he told me, he said, we need to meet. I'm so, she's such a jealous and, and she's so controlling. He neglected to tell me that he'd been having an affair for years with another woman. And he's like, but that's not the point. The point is I can't stand her jealousy. Mm. Well, dude, the reason why she's jealous she, because she has every right to be. That's a, that's a jealousy rooted in love. Your affection and love should only be for your covenantal spouse. Now let's, let's take that a step back. Okay. So when you think about God's longing for your love and, and, it sounds in our culture selfish. Mm. Like, because if I were to go to... Like, I, I, I deserve to be loved by you kind yes, of thing. Like, yeah. okay, so let's picture, um, do you guys, uh, it's like a rock star standing on stage sure. and everybody love me, right? And It's and, very self, like it's a self-serving or like a selfish yeah. kind of uh, attention, if you will. And that's super icky. Yes. Like we, and I, <laughs> that actually is off-putting. Like, no, I don't actually want to love you if you're like that. Yeah, and so when we see that and we're like, well, and God's demanding that because we look at that and we go, that person's insecure. Mm -hmm. 
And, and here's, I think, part of the problem why jealousy and worship go hand in hand is the reason why God is worthy of your love, absolute love first, is because um, first, he is truly worthy of it. Mm. Um, when you think about, okay, so let's, let's think about your children, for example. If I were to come to them and say, hey, you need to call me dad. You'd say, absolutely not. Jason is not your father. <laughs> and Jason cannot come to our house anymore. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and you would actually say, if I were to come in and tell them what to do, uh, you'd be like, no, Jason's not your dad. Okay. Well, if God is truly the creator of the universe, if everything derives before him and he has eternally existed, meaning nothing created him mm. and he is God, it's not insecure of him to demand worship because that's what makes him God. He is ultimately supreme in all things. That's the definition of God. Of God, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so we look at other religions and other religions will say things like, well, uh, I'll use Mormonism. And I want to be careful. The goal is not to bash Mormonism, but I will say I disagree with Mormons on this. They'll say that God, as we worship him, was once a man on another planet. Uh, in fact, I think it's the Journal of Discourses says, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man will become. And, and so in their mind, something created God. Sure. Well, then that thing is what? God. So uh, let me, I want to talk a little bit uh, today, and, and I want to share, I want to hear your thoughts on, when you think about the importance of worship, we're so quick to think about music, because that's mostly where we go to, or the 20 to 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. But when you, oh, sorry. When you think about worship, Jennifer, um, how are the ways that you connect with God that you are saying, God, you're worthy of my worship? Are there, what are the things about God that you go, man, he's so worthy. I'd love to hear that. I think one of the things for me is just his kindness. Mm-hmm. Like when you know the the specific individual love that the father has specifically for you and meets you and shows you in specific way, it's it's similar to my kids. I show them love in different ways, right? Because yeah. they receive love in different ways and they, and they like to be shown love in different ways. And so I think for me, when I... Um, when I'm, when I see the father love Jennifer Colby, the way that Jennifer Colby needs to be loved, that is so, um, it's just as a reminder of like how, how awesome he is and, and how kind he is. And that to me is like, he's worth the worship because not because he loves me, but because, but because he is love. Yeah. And, and I think that's, What's so important about that is so often when we think about worship, at the center of most of our worship is what I think worship is instead of what God wants. Have you ever done the five love languages? We actually talked about this on, in, the, on, in the, the message on Sunday. Do you know your love languages? Yes. So do you want to share them? If you sure. don't, it's okay. okay. Uh, words of affirmation okay. and uh, acts of service. But I'll tell you that acts of service isn't uh, what I've found for me is it's not like, oh, you did the dishes. I love you. Like that really makes me feel loved. It's when you don't do something that I feel unseen or unheard oh, yeah. or unloved in that way. So that's how I came to know that that one was a love language for Interesting. me. Interesting. Yeah. So, and, and, and no one's going to look at you and go, oh, that's so needy. No, you're wired with a love language. Mine is touch. Mm-hmm. Touch is my primary love language. And then I actually discovered gifts. I used to think, oh, I don't really care about gifts. No, I don't care about a gift if a it's meaningless not, or like yeah. a thoughtless. Mm-hmm. Like if a gift, if someone's really thought about something about like, man, Jason would really like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, that means so much. Um, and here's the part. If we're made in the image of God and God created us with love language, God has love languages. Mm. And part of the love language, and, and this is the difference, is that we don't have to guess what God's love language is. He tells us his love languages. 
and it's the things that give him pleasure. This is part of what I really liked. Um, you were playing for God's pleasure. Yeah, and, and like, okay, so when my wife, when Lisa does something to bless me, to, to speak my love language, she's doing it to bring me pleasure. There's an intentionality to show you love. Yes, and, and, and in fact, that's how I know she loves me, is she's being thoughtful of what gives me pleasure, not just herself, right? Right. And likewise, and, and this is a healthy relationship, is that I want to give her pleasure. I want to meet her in her gifts, right? Yeah. And if God, God has a love language, and first, I think sometimes we forget God's primary love language is worship, that when we exalt him and say his name above everything else, that's the first love language. Um, but then he also says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And I think this is where a lot of times we forget that to obey God's commands is not just being a good person. It's the things that God has called us to. When, sure. when, uh, I know you're passionate about dispatch and the stuff that's going on there. And, and you've been doing dispatch within uh, um, the police station here for years. How long have you been involved in that? So 20 years. 20 years, okay. Yep. Um, when you're there, when you're operating in that, when God is at the forefront, do you see it as an act of worship and why? Absolutely, because I, I feel like it's that... that I'm living in the way that he created me to live. Yeah. And that's glorifying to him when it's like, these are the specific skill sets, the specific gifting, yeah. the specific passions. When you put all those together, I think that does glorify God. Yeah. And, and here's the part. I think sometimes we think the commands of God are burdensome. And Jesus said, mm. my commands are easy, easy and light. And, light. Yeah. and we think them all about the law. We're thinking like, you know, don't lust, don't, don't murder, don't all the kill. Don'ts. You yeah. know, all the things. And when in reality... When we're living into the fullness of our purpose, God actually gets delight in that because we're obeying the command of saying, no, this is what I was purposed for, right? Um, there are other aspects that I think, I think are so hard for us to understand because we've got a disconnection between the Old Testament and the New Testament mm. of the people of God. There's a prophet named Amos. And at this point in Israel's history, uh, they were very selfish. In fact, remember, they were people who were slaves who were rescued mm -hmm. out of slavery. And now the slave, the people who were rescued from slaves are now the slave owners. And they're, they've actually, they've got Jews who are enslaved to other Jews. And they've stopped caring for the widow. Mm -hmm. They've stopped caring for the fatherless and the oppressed. And they and forgot what it was like to be a slave. That's right. And this is why God throughout the Old Testament consistently says, remember, remember when you were in slavery to Egypt and I rescued you, right? And the prophet Amos comes in and, and I'm going to, this is a loose paraphrase from the message. He comes in and he says, your worship makes me sick. Mm. Uh, I can't stand your electric guitars. I can't stand your choruses and your organ music because you've forgotten to do the things I care about. And in that, what that shows us is that worship is not about an experience and it's not even an expression of music. It's doing the things that delight God. Yeah. And Amos reminds us that God cares about justice just as much as he cares about fulfillment of your purpose. When you think about um, the idea of is Jesus worth following? Because the two questions that I asked that we talked about on the sermon is, first, uh, we believe God is worthy of our worship because he's God. But he's also worth our worship. And the reason why he's worth something is because the cost, in fact, I don't think we could ever fully equate the cost of how good God is. Mm. When, when you think about what makes God worth it for you, what is it about who God is and, and 
how he's operating your life. What makes loving and following Jesus worth it for you? That's a great question. I don't know if I know the answer. Um, it's okay. But I think... Well, we don't I th script these, by the way. No, so. yeah. And I, I'm just, you know, because following Jesus is hard. Yeah. There's a radical ask and a radical, like he asks some radical obedience, things of radical obedience sometimes. Yeah. And there's suffering and uh, there's hardships yeah. and there's frustrations. And like, sometimes I think the harder you follow Jesus, the harder it is to follow Jesus. Yeah. And so what makes that worth it? What makes it if you step into a covenantal covenantal relationship with the Lord and it gets worse for you here on earth? Yeah. And I think the only thing for me is it's still better than when it was without him. Yeah. And that's the only way I can, you know, that I could say that it's that that's how I know that it's worth it because take away everything, strip away everything from my life, throw in every hardship or suffering that humanity could possibly experience. And the love and the presence of the Lord and the forgiveness of the Lord yeah. covers it all. Well, and, and I wonder how much of this also has to do with, because we're eternal creatures. Mm. And, and I'm just thinking about this as we're talking is I think part of what makes God worth it is because this world isn't, isn't this isn't, this isn't it. All of the story. And so even yeah. when it says our, our light and momentary troubles, there's still acknowledgement of troubles and they feel so heavy in the moment. But in comparison for eternity, if God is who he says he is, and this goes back to the worthiness of God, yeah. he's worthy of being worshiped. But what makes him worth it is that because he is eternal and he created us with eternity in our hearts because we're, we're meant for something else outside of this, when we actually give worship here, when we give our lives in worship to here, we trust that God actually, and, and I've had people argue with me on this, those, God rewards that. And we've been taught, and this is, the, this is part, I think, one of the, the challenges for Christians is we've been taught, well, that's selfish. You're only following God for the reward. And that's the, the problem is Scripture actually tells us that there is a reward in heaven. And, and so, no, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying, well, no, I'm honoring God because I do trust in the reward. But the ultimate reward is, is God Jesus. It's God, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's what that people don't understand who aren't Christian or who haven't submitted their life to Christ is, our greatest reward, the greatest worth for you and me is Jesus himself. And as hard as this world is, is and when, you know, you look at the, the people in, who, in Jesus' circle, only one of them didn't die from being murdered. Right. Every other one was murdered. And the other one, they tried to murder him, and he, by the grace of God, survived. And that's John, who ended up being exiled on an island and wrote the book of Revelation, right? Everyone else, they were killed. And you could go, well, was that really worth it? And, and I want to I bring it us... It wasn't to, to them, otherwise they could have recanted. <laughs> that's actually one of the number one proofs that, that, that if that you want to say, how do we say, how can we know for sure that Jesus yeah. was who he said he was, is that worshiping him, giving worth-ship to Jesus was worth it in their lives because they were willing to lay down their lives. And why would you do that for a lie, for something that wasn't worth it? I want to read a story from uh, the Gospel of Mark, and it's a very small one, and we've heard it many times. It says this, this is a Mark 1, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Um, they had a family business, and that's, that's where they made their money. Now, we need to be careful. It's not like they were hand over fist rich. They weren't wealthy by any means, but they had boats. They had provision. Sea of Galilee was a bountiful place for fishing. As Jesus was walking by, he said, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once, 
They left their nets and followed him. Now, here's what I think when we read the Gospels, we make it sound like it's like Jesus just appeared and they were like, I, I need to, I'm to follow. Go. I got to yeah, go. All right. And, and here's the thing. These people actually probably knew who Jesus was. He, they'd heard of, they'd probably met Jesus. They'd heard about Jesus because in, in the Gospel of John, we have Jesus' baptism. Sure. Matthew and John talks about the baptism of Jesus. Um, there was something about Jesus that was worth giving up everything. Mm. They dropped their nets. There was a cost to their worship. And I think that's the challenge that we come into is I don't think we associate worship with a cost, but anything we worship comes with a cost. And for them, they said, hey, Jesus is worth the cost. They probably made their father very angry. <laughs> the father was depending on them to take over the family business, right? Yeah. And that in itself, I think, asks people like, well, that seems unreasonable of Jesus. Well, Jesus himself said, listen, I'm going to make enemies and households. Some of you are going to want to follow me and your family's not going to understand. When I look at my life, and if, if you have any, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Um, what makes Jesus worth it to me, following Jesus, not just worthy because he is worthy, but what makes it worth it, Jesus gave me a new identity. Yeah. And in that identity, I have found purpose and meaning in my life, but I've also found strength that I could never have found within myself. And, and I love in 1 John when it says God is love. And everything that God does, there's a, a phrase that's used over and over again in the Old Testament. Um, His love endures forever. Actually, it begins with give thanks to the Lord mm -hmm. for he is good and his love endures forever. For me, that's the part where I know that even in the parts that I don't understand, this is how I can worship God when things aren't going the way I want them to, is because I know his love endures forever. His love, he is love. He is not just loving. He is the embodiment of love. And while I may not understand it right now, mm. um, when I sacrifice my praise, that's why it's called the sacrifice of praise, when you give praise when it's hard, when it costs more than it feels like you can afford, there's something beautiful in that. Um, when you look at your the direction of the things that God has done in your life over the last several years, are there things that you look at and go, God, I, I didn't know the cost then. I didn't really understand the cost, but I do now. And thank you because it was worth it. Mm. Does um, that question make sense? I think so. It's going to be kind of a weird answer, I think. But I think just the cost of working in vocational ministry. Yeah. There's a cost that people outside, outside who don't work in the church don't understand. Yeah. And it costs your family. Yeah. Uh, it costs it costs what you can offer them. And uh, I know I've had lots of conversations with people on staff where it's like, I'm just trusting the Lord with my family. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be the thing for me that I would say. But but looking like, but to go through the years of it, it's like, yes, but. Yeah. Because he is still worth it. Yeah. And um, and I'm grateful that the Lord has me in a place in my faith where I can say, yeah, it was, it was hard. There was sacrifice yeah. and he is worth every sacrifice that I can offer him. Yeah. And, and he is pleased with that. Yeah. There's a, and, and there is a, um, there's a fruitfulness. Yeah. When you it's can, not, it's, it's not wasted. There's it's, growth and yeah. beauty. And, and I think that's the part that I, I think, um, I've talked to so many people who don't see the fruit of their worship. Mm. 
that when you give God worship, even when you don't feel like it, uh, one of the things I love that, that uh, Rick said, Rick Warren said in the book is, um, God wants to be your friend and friends demand honesty. Mm. And there is something holy when we worship God in our honesty. And I think so many Christians are afraid to worship God honestly. To say, you know, God, I'm kind of angry at you right now. God's God enough to handle your anger. God, I'm not sure about this right now. God, I, I, I don't know if I can afford this. You know, it brings, uh, I think about, and I think you preached on this last uh, few months ago, the, the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet. Yeah. And everybody was like, that's, that's too costly. That's, that, that is too not much. worth it. That's mm -hmm. too much. You look at all the good things you could do with that. Yeah, and, and we, we see that all the time. And I think that's the power of when worship becomes our purpose, uh, if we know that the purpose is the Lord, there's nothing that's, it, there, there's never a cost too much if, if Jesus if, is at the center. If it's done in the right posture. Yeah, right. I think, you know, even in that story, what does Jesus say? You have done the best You've, you've thing. done the right thing, the you've best thing. You've done the thing. right, best thing. Yeah. And, you know, just that, just that honor and that reminder of saying to that, that daughter of God, like your, your worship and your heart is in the right place. Yeah. I think one of the things that I think is hard is sometimes we assume what God wants in our worship. And, and I've seen this, you, you brought up the ministry thing and, and, you know, I've been in professional ministry now for 23 years. Jeez Louise, 23 years. <laughs> that's that's half, almost half my life. That's over half my, no, almost half my life. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause I know the sacrifices that no, you've had to make. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. Um, I think sometimes, and this is the hard part in church, and I'm just going to get, I'm going to get real here. Some churches actually demand sacrifices that the Lord didn't. Mm. And I think that's when churches get unhealthy. I think that's when Christians get unhealthy is when they, they've added man's rules onto things and then called it godly. I heard a pastor and, and I was actually, I was really, really frustrated by this, but I heard a pastor who was speaking at a wife's conference for husbands who were missionaries. And so it's for the wives, their husbands okay. are on the mission field. And this pastor, very well-known pastor, I'm not going to say his name, very well-known pastor said, wives, you and your children need to suck it up mm. because what, they're, what he's doing is holy. You should consider it an honor that you don't get to see your dad, that your husband's not around because he's doing the work of the Lord. And I went, um, I think the apostle Paul had something to say about that <laughs> when he said, it's better not to be married if you want to do ministry because my first ministry is my, my wife and my family. And when churches or when Christians put unhealthy expectations saying, well, now that's worship. It needs to be worth it. I don't think that's what God calls us to. Now, there might be circumstances. We hear about missionaries who are, are martyred for their faith. But I think they had a clear call in their life and their spouses were in agreement. And often it was a husband and wife together on the mission sure. field. And I, I, I can't help but wonder if part of the reason why some people are so nervous about the worship of God is that they actually don't know God's heart in worship, mm. that they actually think God's heart is it's selfishness and cruel and not actually when we delight in God, when God becomes the object of our worship, we actually get more out of it than we ever realize. He gets the, he gets the most we can give through our worship, but he is so loving and good that he blesses us in return and what pleases God begins to please us. Um, as we yeah. end this and, and I'm, I think the, the idea that we're created with worship in mind, 
how are, how do you connect with God and worship? He, he, again, he talked about in the book that there are different types of personalities. We don't all worship the same. We have the same God we worship, but we're all created different. What are some ways that you worship? What connects with you? Walking. Okay. When I'm moving my body, I find that I can connect with the Lord. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because what do we say often is in the church, like, we got to be still. Be and, still and know that it's yes, kind of not the point of your the verse. Closet, you know? <laughs> Psalm 46. So, yeah. Um, but for me, when I am in creation and see his greatest creation, human beings walking past me, there's something that allows me to connect with him. And and, and you asked about worship, but I guess I'm talking kind of where I feel like I can connect. Um no, that is worship. That is connecting. That's exactly it. Yeah. They're the, two, they're the same um, thing. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is when I am, um, honestly, when I'm ministering to people individually okay. and, and whether it's my children or whether it's a friend or, you know, something like that. But in those moments, I feel like, um, I feel like that is actually my, that I've brought the Lord like into, into that. And he, like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but just this idea that like, we're a team doing that, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I think that, I think that worships and, and glorifies him. I would agree. One of my uh, really good friend of mine said, Jason, I feel most alive when I'm doing what he called me to do the most. Mm. Uh, I've, I've always loved music. Music has spoken to me for years. And so the worship, the music side of worship has always been important to me. A lot like you, um, nature is one of the ways that I connect with the Lord. Um, mine's, I think, very similar. When I preach, when I'm preaching God's word, when I'm helping direct people, I genuinely, I feel, and I think it's similar, I'm doing what God has called me to do for his glory, for the benefit of somebody else to encounter God. Yeah. And, and I do believe that gives worth and worthiness to God when I do that, because I'm not the center of that. This yeah. is not... This is what Jason has to offer. No, here's what the Lord has to offer. And I'm simply pointing you to God. Yeah. I love when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think I, if I could give any encouragement to people that are listening or watching, we have to break out of the molds that says that worship only happens one way on a Sunday morning, singing a song, raising your hands. For some people, that's that's great. But there are all kinds of different. Some people are intellects. Like, I'm like in cooking a, is cooking. like a way some people really experience yeah. the Lord. And, and if you can discover how God has wired you, I think that will help you get to your purpose because you'll start going, oh, wait, when I do that for the Lord, then maybe that's why God created me. Like, I really, I wonder if there are people that God purposed them in the world to create beautiful meals for his glory. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the purpose. Yeah. And then he calls them to situations to leverage that purpose. How cool would that be? So I don't know if Gordon Ramsay's a Christian or not, but if he was. <laughs> he does have I, Hell's Kitchen. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can judge by that. But that, I mean, uh, what, a, what an amazing way to look at it going, what if, what if the thing that I'm passionate about actually is pointing yeah. to my purpose and I just have to redirect it back to God? Yeah, I think that's great. And I think one other thing on that is that we need to not compare with one another yes. how we are worshiping the Lord. Oh, yeah. And I think sometimes we think, well, okay, well, that's what, you know, Jason's doing. So that's what I need to be that's doing. And there do. is some wisdom in that. There is some wisdom in going, hey, maybe I should try this to see if that works for me. But it's, and I don't want to say works for me because this isn't about us, right? But it's just how we feel alive, which is when we are living in our identity yeah. as, you know, sons and daughters of the king, like, and we are doing the thing he's created us to do. That is the most worshipful thing that we can offer. Well, and, I, I, and I'll end with this. I think it's a direct connection. Okay, so let's go back to the love languages. So um, touch is not my wife's primary love language, but it is one of hers. 
well, when I'm using my love language and it's connecting with her love language at the same time, we get synergy. Sure. And I think there are things that God calls us to do, not because we, we like them, but because he does. And so the challenge I'll give, and, and I had to do this for me, for someone who doesn't like singing, God delights in your singing. Well, Jason, I have a horrible voice. It's called a joyful noise, not a joyful melody. <laughs> and so God says, I want you to sing. So you sing because God has asked you to. It's about his pleasure. On the flip side, because I love singing, the Lord has told me he loves silence. Hmm. And so there are Sundays where I feel like the most worshiping, worshipful thing I can do is to silence myself and just listen and be present with the Lord. Yeah. And that is what's called the sacrifice of praise. It's doing something that is not natural. Sacrificing is not natural. And so there are things that he calls us to. Loving my neighbor, not always easy. It's a sacrifice. And not natural. It's certainly not natural, right? Well, this has been so good. And you kind of stepped in last minute, and I really appreciate you stepping in. And, and this Thanks is, I'm excited for this. I think um, the next the next several weeks, we're going to have some wonderful conversations, and hopefully we'll have you back on again. And um, we're going to be trying some different formats. And uh, our goal is this is kind of prepping us, and we're going to start taking data and collecting it over the summer and looking at relaunching possibly in the fall if if we're seeing the fruit and if this is an area God wants to move. Thank you so much for being with yeah. me, Jennifer. I appreciate it. Hey, let's remember the covenant. Yeah.